We've been looking at the family that God chose to bring the Savior into the earth realm through. And we are seeing some of the dysfunctionality that's a part of Abraham's family. And we're going to look at it because when you go over to the New Testament and it talks back about the fact that that Abraham believed God and it was a counterintuitive for righteousness. It talks about the fact that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son because he believed the word of God so much that he knew that God would raise him from the dead because he had a word from God. Amen. So I want us to get into the word that deep. I want to show you a little story. I was in the shower this morning. The Lord uh, made me think about something. Um, and guys, if y'all can kind of get in close, how many of y'all know what this is? That's a bottle of lotion, Nivea, body lotion, essentially rich, 48-hour nourishing moisture. How many of you know that, that if you're of African-American descent, you use lotion quite often? Because you don't want to go around ashy. Y'all know what ashy means? Anybody, any of y'all ever had ashy ankles? All right. <laughs> now watch this. Some of y'all looking at me like, what, Pastor, where are you going with this? Now, this bottle has a little pump on it, okay? And this pump is made to, once you prime it a little bit, then lotion begins to come out of it fairly easily. Y'all got that? All right? It comes out fairly easily because that's what it's designed to do. Now, um, but I, I still have the same bottle of lotion over here. All right? Has the same pump. But guess what? That lotion doesn't come out as easily, does it? Because it's, it's it's my wife taught me this. There's still lotion in there. But how many of y'all know what this is? I need somebody who's been through this before. In order to get that lotion, come on. I need somebody out here who's done this before. And it takes a little bit of work to cut through that thing. Come on now. But when I cut through it, I get down on the inside of that, and there's still some lotion there. Can I get a witness? And what God showed me while I was in the shower, he said, you know what? My word is like that. A lot of folks will, will, will come and try to get my word on the surface. When the pump is there, it's real easy. But there are some things that God said, I'm not going to show you until you hunger and thirst after righteousness. Can I get two witnesses out there? And I believe in this day and age that we're living in now, God is looking for a people who are willing to cut the top off the bottle. Somebody who's willing to do some work and dig into his word to get out those pearls of wisdom that God has laid aside for those who are hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, we go to this 18th chapter of Genesis. I want you all to start hungering and thirsting because there are some things that God is trying to show us to help us as a church get to the point to where we are having kingdom impact in this world that we're living in. Guys, you, you've been watching the national news and just like I have, and you know that it is time for the church to step up and be the church. It's time for the church to lead out and show the world how to love people unconditionally. It's time for the church to be that tool that God placed us in the earth realm to be. But what I'm afraid of is we got too many Christians, amen, who, who, who use the, the, the pump and as long as it's easy... And there's no challenges and there, there's no thing, nothing you have to stand for. You're okay with God. But when you have to dig, when you have to cut the bottle open and dig for it, 
we got too many Christians who backtrack and don't do that very well. So Genesis, the 18th chapter, we're still looking at Abraham. And we're going to start out reading at verse number one. And let's read again. It says, the Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abram was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. The text says he looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. The text says, my Lord, he said, if it please you, stop here for a while. The text says, rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. And I'm going to stop there because there's a lot of unpacking that I think we got to do this morning as we talk about me and my dysfunctional family, me and my troubled, my distressed, my unsettled, my upset, my distraught, my unbalanced, my unstable, my, my discombobulated, my maladjusted, my neurotic, my emotionally confused, my unhinged, my mixed up, messed up family. We got to do that. I discovered this, guys, that a lot of people don't like to talk about or don't not do not like to acknowledge the dysfunctionality that's within their within their church family, within their family of origin, within themselves individually. And as a result, if you hide it, he can't heal it. If you won't recognize it and acknowledge it, God can't do anything with it. Now, you say God can do anything. Yes, he can. But because he made us free moral agents, because he made us with, as a being of choice, we have to participate in God's conversion experience in his transformation process that he wants to take place inside of us. I said before and I said again. You cannot, God cannot grow you as a Christian without your participation. And part of the reason why we're having the trouble that we have in this country is because too many times we have not allowed God's word to have its preeminent effect. So, so we get to this text right here and we, we, we're talking about growing faith. The last week we dealt with aroused faith. And then we said that aroused faith leads to a fresh stirring experience with God because what God had to come back and remind Abram was that I, I, you are my chosen one. He had to come back and remind Abram of the fact that, listen, I have, I have chosen you to be the one who I am going to birth the savior into the earth realm through your family's lineage. But, but, but again, remember, Abram got a little shaky now, right? Because he left his family, went to the place that God told him to go to, famine was in the land. So he turned tail and left where God told him to go and went, what, down to Egypt. Lied and did some other stuff. And so God is still working on him, but still, he's still going through a process. Because he's not, he's not yet what he's going to be. And how many of y'all know that all of us sitting here now, you may be saved, have been saved for the last 15, 20 years, but you're not yet where God wants you to be. God sees you, amen, in a, in a place, in a position that maybe you don't even see yourself. So he's working on Abraham, uh, Abram at this time. So we talked about aroused faith, but now we're going into growing faith, how to be a friend of God, a friend of God. Abraham is given the special title as a friend of God. Let's, let's look at 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter, verse number 7. 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter, verse number 7. Three times in the course of, in the discourse of scripture, Abraham is known and called the friend of God. The text says, oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? 
And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your what? Friend Abraham. Go with me to, if you will, let's skip over that. There's another one uh, uh, for the sake of time. I'm going to read it in Isaiah 41 and 8. But let's go to the New Testament because it's Abraham being the friend of God is not forgotten about even as we go into the new covenant. James chapter number two, I believe it is verse number 23. Let's look at it and see what the scripture text says. James chapter two, verse number 20 says. And so it happened just as scriptures say. Abraham, what? Believed God. And God counted him as righteous, what? Because of what? His faith. He didn't count him as righteous because he was a Baptist, or he was an Episcopalian, or he was Church of God in Christ, or he was Church of Christ, or he was uh, whatever, whatever, whatever. He counted him righteous because of what? His faith. And he was even called what? The friend of God. He's the only person in the Bible to be called a friend of God. Now, we do know that Jesus calls Lazarus his friend, right, in John 11, 11, and he calls friends all of those who believe on him and obey him. Look at what John 15 says, verse number 13. I want to know, are you a friend of Jesus? We sang that song, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins. I need some old school folks to have sins and griefs to bear, all Ah, ah, y'all done lost it. Everything to God in prayer. Okay, we're going to stop there because I, I need to, I need, some of y'all, I got to bring you on back. We got to go back. What a friend we have in Jesus. But my question is, he's our friend, but are you his friend? Abraham was known as the friend of God. Lazarus was known as Jesus' friend. But notice what Jesus says here in John, the 15th chapter, because I need to, I need some lotion cutting bottle Christians in this church so that we can do the work and carry out the mandate that God has given this, this church here. The assignment that God has given us is coming even clearer into focus to me. And it's going to take people who are not allowing the culture to determine their thought process, but they're allowing the word of God, amen, to show them how to look at life. To show them how to look at people. Can I get a witness? Notice what Jesus says here, John 15 and 13 says what? There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's what Jesus says. No greater love than to lay down one's life for one's Friends, Jesus talking prophetically. Watch what the text says. Next verse says, "What well, you are my friends if you do what I command. Look at what it says. You are my friends if you do what I command. Next verse says, what? I no longer call you slaves or servants because a master doesn't confide, confide in his slaves. Or his servant. A master doesn't confide in his slave. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the father told me. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus says, guys, you're walking with me. You're not my, fr- you're not my servants. You're my friends. Because I'm telling you everything that the father in heaven told me. As his friends, guys, we can share his love and his fellowship and we can know his will. Friendship involves ministry. And in this 18th chapter of Genesis, we find Abraham, Abram as his name is, uh, his name was changed Abraham. We find Abraham ministering in three different areas. He ministers to the Lord, he ministers to his, to his home, and he ministers to a lost world in this 18th chapter. So let's 
let's, let's unpack here. First of all, we see, number one, the Lord appeared and sought Abraham's friendship. The Lord appeared and sought Abraham's friendship. Abraham was eager to show hospitality to these men, as, as was a lot, also his nephew. Now, guys, what we got to understand here, we have these three guys that come up. And this, what, what we're going to see prophetically, what's happening here in this text, we actually have the pre-incarnate Christ making himself known as he did in several other cases in the Old Testament. Jesus just did not come into existence in the manger in Bethlehem. Here we see another instance of the pre-incarnate. Incarnate means to be made carnal, to be made flesh. But Jesus, who was in the beginning, because the Bible says in the beginning, what was the word? The word was with God. The word what was God? The word became flesh. He was in the beginning. He was before there was a beginning. So we see the pre-incarnate Christ along with two angelic beings coming to visit Abraham. Watch the text now. Watch the text. So, so again, in Abraham's day, a person's reputation was largely connected to his hospitality. Amen. The short, the sharing of your home and your and your food. Even strangers were treated as highly honored guests. Now, I would suffer to say that in our culture and our time period today, we've gotten away from being hospitable. Some of y'all don't want nobody over your house. I got some uns. Some some people are are are, are to the point to where. It's, 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 my home is my abode and I don't want anybody to interrupt that, including my fellow church members. Shh, I need y'all to listen to me. If we are going to be the church that call, that God called and ordained for us to be, if we're going to become disciple makers, then we got to learn how to do life together. And learn how to show the ministry of hospitality. In Abraham's day, it, it, it was, that person's reputation was connected to his hospitality. Meeting another's need for food or shelter, guys, was and still is one of the most immediate and practical ways to obey God. It's also a time-honored relationship builder. Look at what Hebrews 13 and 2 says, and I want y'all to just... Just think about this real quickly, what the scripture says. Hebrews 13 and 2 says what? Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this, just like Abraham, have, have entertained angels without realizing it. Now this is New Covenant scripture here. Hebrews 13 says, don't forget to show what? Hospitality. What does it mean to be hospitable? Be friendly. To serve somebody. You know what the hotel, motel industry is called? It's called the hospitality industry. Why? Because when you go to a hotel or motel, when you're traveling, it's, it, they give you a bed to sleep in. Hello? If you go to a good hotel, they got a bed in here. They, they, they give you, if, if, if it's really a good hotel, they got a restaurant where you can eat there. If you're in a really good hotel, come on, then they have room service. They'll bring your food to your room. Hospitality. Serving you. 
making sure that you're okay. One of our members, Sister Regina Reynolds, she, she's managed a hotel for a number of years. And one of the things that she's always told me, we have conversations about, uh, about that management process and trying to hire people. Because a lot of times when you hire people, they represent your company. And if you're in the hospitality industry, then you, you're going to have to have people who love or have a ministry of hospitality somewhere on the inside of them. Or the money that you pay them motivates them to be hospitable. And so if a hotel starts to get bad results, one of the things that we do before we travel is we go and check, amen, the ratings of those hotels and see uh, what kind of reputation that they have. Because if you're going to, if you're going to, if I'm going to come and stay at your place, I expect you to be hospitable. But the text says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for some who have done this have entertained angels Without realizing, here we see Abraham is entertaining the pre-incarnate Christ along with two angelic beings. This thought should be on our minds the next time we have the opportunity to meet a stranger's need. Again, many, many, many believers today, I'm afraid, don't relish the fact that God expects us to show hospitality. Some of y'all kind of mean. I ain't called no names, but you know who you are if you are. Some of y'all, some of y'all don't like people. And I know, and maybe it's because of the way you were brought up, but, but you got to get beyond that. Because if God wants to use us to reach people, he chose to choose, he chose men to preach the gospel, not angels. And how are we going to share with people and how are we going to put people in the position to where, uh, where, to, to, to where we can share our faith with them if we don't ever want to be around them? Come on, y'all. Are y'all with me? Hospitality. So let me think about it. So, 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 so as you're sitting there thinking about this, watch the thoughts, our thought process. See, how we think about ministry is going to determine how we do ministry. Our thoughts, our minds and our thoughts are important. Don't forget this. Our minds and our thoughts are important reflections of the image of God. Amen. No other creature on earth has our thinking ability. A gorilla doesn't have our thinking ability. Elephant doesn't have it. None, none of God's creation has, has the thinking ability of mankind. We are the only creatures who are called to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. Uh, go, go with me, if you will, right quick to Mark, the 12th chapter. In verse number 28, we'll start reading that. Mark, chapter 12, verse number 28 through 31. Okay? Watch what happens. The text says this. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. Because you remember, these Pharisees and Sadducees were always Elijah trying to, 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 to trap Jesus, trying to trip him up, trying to get him to say something where they could condemn him with, the, with his words. The text says he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The text says, well, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and the only Lord. Next verse says what? And you must love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. Can we read it out loud on purpose? And you must what? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, let's see, emotion, you know, your, your feelings and all that, and all your mind and all of your strength. Verse number 31 says what? Come on, let's go. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is what? Is greater than these. Loving the Lord thy God with all your heart, 
your mind and your soul and loving your neighbor as yourself. No, there's no greater commandment than those two. Now watch, watch, I want you to back up just for a little bit. This is a little sidebar, but I, want, I need y'all to stay with them because how we think about ministry, I think, determines how we do ministry. And if we don't get to the point to where we're willing to cut off the top of the lotion bottle and dig down into the, into the, to get the riches of God's word, I'm afraid we're going to miss what God is trying to tell us in these last and evil days that we're living in. Jesus, when Jesus said this right here, he was still in the middle of, 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 of walking this earth and you had these folks who were still trying to trap him. Go back up to the 18th verse of this very same chapter. Mark chapter 12, verse number 18. Look at what the text says. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders, who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They posed this question. Watch this. Look at this. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Now, again, I'm just sharing this with you because they were trying to trap Jesus. But listen, Jesus, when you know him in, in, in a personal, intimate way, listen, you can't get beyond his wisdom. I don't know about you, but there were times when I'm young, when I was young in my faith, I tried to, I guess I tried to outwit Jesus. I tried to make Jesus come over to my side of the equation. Have any of y'all ever tried to talk God into doing what you want to do? Have any of y'all even lied on the Lord and said the Lord told you and the Lord didn't tell you? I need to see some hands of folks who when you look back on you said that couldn't have been the Lord. Say I lied on God. Come on, raise your hand. Have you ever lied on God? Oh, I know the Lord told me to, but then it just blew up in your face. You said, well, that probably wasn't the Lord. The text says here, they're trying to trap him. Now, they come up with this, this, this outlandish story. It says, his brother should, he says, teacher Moses gave us a law that if a man dies leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on his brother's name. Next verse says what? Well, suppose there were seven brothers. Here they go with this ridiculous story. Just like some folks who you run into, they come up with ridiculous stuff that don't amount to a hill of bean, and you sit up trying to explain that ridiculous story they talk. Just be, do, are you saved? Do you want to know Jesus? Do you love God? Do you want to understand what made me change? And, and see, listen, guys, all of us have the ability to reach people, amen, with our story. You don't have to have a doctoral thesis to be able to give a testimony. All you got to be able to do is tell what the Lord has done for you. So watch, watch. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. Next verse says, so the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. Then the third brother married her. Come on, let's keep moving. This continued with all seven of them, and still there were no children. Last of all, the woman died also. So tell us. They, they, first of all, watch this. Here's, here's how you know they, they, they throw it off. They didn't even believe in the resurrection. Huh? They didn't even believe in the resurrection. Now here they are giving Jesus a, a story and scenario about what will happen in the resurrection. They didn't even believe people rose from the dead. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven of them were married to her. Look at what Jesus is so wise. Watch, watch what Jesus says. Look at it. Jesus replied, and here, here, here's where you got to start telling folks, your mistake is that you don't even know the scriptures. That's the first thing Jesus said. And sometimes you're talking to people who are telling you stuff. And they don't even know the scripture. He says, and he says, first of all, your mistake is, uh, first of all, your first mistake is you don't know the scripture. And the second mistake is you don't know the power of God. Boy, Jesus is bad, isn't he? Look at what 
text says, next verse says what? Watch this. It says, for when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. And I'm going to stop right here because he just, he just break, them, break them down real quickly. Because guys, let me tell you something. You're going to have folks who, especially in the times that we're living in, uh, are going to discount or try to get you to discredit God's word. They don't even know scripture. And you have in this in this in this day and age where we where we have racial tension uh, in this country, and and I'm 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 doing my debt level best to get the church to understand that we have to be on the forefront of 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 of, of helping solve this issue from the standpoint of the church, Amen, dealing with Amen and eradicating the sin of racism within this midst. Because God, I, I'm gonna tell you something. I've had people say this. Here, here we go. They say, well. You know, pastor, you're talking about the Bible is the answer. We need laws. Yeah, we need laws. And laws are good, but laws don't change men's heart. Okay? We got to have laws, but we've had laws for 100 and something years, 150 years. But law, we still got a race problem. Because until the church is honest and deals with its issue on that, we won't get any better. I'm, not, I got, I'm excited. I got a couple more uh, folks to interview and talk with. I hope you're uh, getting, getting something out of those things that we're streaming. But I had, a, I had a, 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 an opportunity. Uh, my neighbor, who, you know, we, we have a chance to, my neighbor's 79 years old. We have a chance to talk and he goes to a local congregation around here. But he, 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 he actually leads a men's uh, Bible study group. And in this men's Bible study group, they asked me to come and kind of share my thoughts uh, about what's happening in our country as it relates to uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. By the way, by the way, when someone says Black Lives Matter, you better know what they're talking about. The organization Black Lives Matter had, if you ever read what they say on their website, guys, they have some very unbiblical tenets uh, that drive that organization. Okay, so I could not connect with the organization Black Lives Matter, but I can connect with the statement as a as, as a statement of fact that black lives matter as well as all lives matter. But I don't have to say all lives matter because black lives is part of the all. I don't have to say all cancers matter. My wife had breast cancer and I thank God that the NFL and Susan G. Coleman and all of those other organizations actually promote breast cancer awareness. But that don't mean that lung cancer is not important. It doesn't mean that pancreatic cancer is not important. But the one that's more pervasive and affecting more people obviously is getting more attention and more research dollars. And the NFL has a whole month with their wearing pink to promote breast cancer awareness. So I don't, I, I don't I, if I had lung cancer, I can't get mad at them. But anyhow, so I, they, they wanted me to come in. And talk about the Black Lives Matter movement and its relationship. Now, check this out. Its relationship to the looting and the violence that took place. Not this relationship to what happened to this guy in police brutality, but the looting and the violence. Now, again, here's what we got to get into. Here's why I say that the church got to take lead. See, some of us don't know how to talk to people. And if you go around angry all day long, can I talk to you? And you're not using the word of God to, to help transform the conversation. Then you're going to go around angry and mad. And, and God called on, on us to be, amen, uh, kingdom builders and kingdom agenda pushers. I hear, I hear, I hear some folks, well, you know, you know, repast it, repast it. You know, uh, uh, 
the Christian church and the, the church has been complicit. I told you what I, I agree with Dr. Tony Evans wholeheartedly. Had the church dealt with this, particularly the white evangelical church. That's why I'm having the conversation with white evangelicals. Because the 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 message of the sin of racism has not been dealt with effectively. I asked this group when I went to and talked with them, I said, how many sermons have you heard on the sin of racism? It was a definite silence. Maybe I think one guy raised his hand. Out of all these years, not one sermon? Now, again, I don't believe in plucking uh, uh, news from the headlines and come to the pulpit and preach, preach the news. I'm called to preach the Bible. But the Bible is going to deal with what's happening in the culture. Because he called on, upon us to affect change in the culture. But we can't do it if we don't have a biblical worldview. Some people say, well, you know, uh, there, there, you know pastor, there, there are those in the Christian church who use the Bible to keep people in slavery. What you got to say about that? Here's what I got to say about that. There were also those who used the Bible to free us from slavery. So I ain't going to throw the Bible away because somebody, see, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because somebody else, somebody used it in an impure and ungodly way. Doesn't mean that the word of God is, is impure and ungodly. Do you not realize that, and, and, and I'm saying this, it's a little sidebar, but I need y'all to hear me. Because we've got to address the issue from a biblical perspective. Too many of us are, are throwing God away, and, 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 we, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. My blackness does not trump my spiritual conversion. My blackness doesn't trump my Christianity. My ethnicity is just who I am. God made me. Yes, I say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. But that does not come before God's transformation power that he gave to me in my Christianity. And that shouldn't happen to you either. So in order for us, in order for slavery to be abolished, you have to have Caucasian brothers pushing that too because we're only, even today, we're only 12% of the, of the U.S. population. 12%. So there were, there were white people who had to step to the table and stand up for what's right as well as blacks. Now, wh- where am I going with this? My point is this, guys. When I talked to those men, we had a conversation. The, the, all these guys were at least 70 plus. And we had a conversation. They, they asked me questions and I shared biblical truth. I shared relational truths. Here's a question I asked them. I said, guys, I said, what would, what would happen if, if, if in the next month your church became 50% African-American? God sitting next to me immediately said, people would start to leave. I said, ah, therein lies the problem. Why would people start to leave? Let's address that issue. Because, see, if you're saying, because the Barnard Group just did a re- research, uh, this is prior to all this stuff jumping off, but they did a research where it said that, uh, you know, six out of ten uh, white evangelicals didn't believe that there was a systemic racism problem in the, in the U.S. But six out of ten African Americans did believe that there was a systemic problem of racism in the U.S. So now we have an issue there because if you don't see like I see, you can't see what I see. I think I'll say that again. If you don't see what I see, I, only, I, I forgot what I said, then you can't see what I see. So guys, it was a rich conversation. And these guys, and I kept circling back around. I said, guys, why is it? Why is it that you said that 50%, 50% became 50%, 50% African-American people would begin to leave? Why is that? 
we got to deal with that issue because if you don't see color, it shouldn't matter what the demographic makeup of the church is. And I asked Marrera, I said, Marrera, let me ask you a question. We've been talking about promoting uh, uh, racial healing and, 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 and being a multi, multicultural congress. I said, what would happen if, if EBC became 50% uh, 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 Caucasian or Hispanic? Do you think people would leave? I said, I would surely hope not. I've been preaching this same gospel for 31 years. And if you, if you would leave because too many people that look like you came, then there's a problem. You're not listening to what, what the word is saying. Because what, what did I tell you? Just because someone used the word for evil don't mean that the word of God is evil. Just like they said, well, some people use the Bible to keep people enslaved. There are people who use the Bible to liberate us. So which one? So listen, I'm going to follow the ones who use the Bible to liberate. But rich conversations, so we're going to keep having those. Please tune in because I want you to hear the hearts of people who love God and are looking beyond the ethnicity. So let's get back. Come on, I got I got to move it because Abraham, in our text, shows hospitality. We see Abra- a growing faith. How to become a friend of God, a friend of God. So our thoughts, our thoughts. Remember what the Apostle Paul told us in Second Corinthians ten and five. He says he wrote that he was he was taking captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. This is not in your sermon notes, but I want you to write these three things down. Okay, I, I need to make you work a little bit. I want you to dig a little bit. So I think sometimes we give you all of it, you don't have to dig a little bit. I want you to write something down, okay? I want it to activate a sensory mechanism, our thought processes. Paul says bringing every thought into captivity. First thing is, we have to establish boundaries in our thinking. Because if not, the enemy will carry us away with our thought process. He'll shoot stuff to your mind, have you thinking crazy and doing crazy. First thing is, we must own our own thoughts. Number one, we must own our own thoughts. Don't, I don't believe in group speak and group think. Now, I'll line up with you if it line up with God's word, but just because all black folks saying don't mean that Dawn Adams is going to be saying it. And because all white folks saying don't, don't mean that you, if you're white, should be saying it. What does God's word say? And let's make sure that we are allowing that to govern our thinking. Philippians 2 and 5 says, let this mind as it be in you that was also what? In Christ Jesus. So if all of us have the mind of Christ, then it looks like to me that we ought to be able to get along. If you got the mind, if you married and both of y'all got the mind of Christ and both of y'all are growing in your faith, how is it that you can't get along? You got the mind of Christ, I got the mind of Christ, and we arguing all the time. We arguing against ourselves. Does that mean that somebody's lying? Somebody's not allowing the word of God to transform their thinking. So we must own our own thought. Many people haven't taken ownership of their own thinking processes. They just mechanically think in the thoughts of others without ever examining them. They swallow others' opinions and their reasonings, uh, never questioning and thinking about their thinking. Certainly we should listen to the thoughts of others and weigh them, but we should never give our minds over to anyone except Christ. Except Christ. Some of y'all tell me, and you probably have some of your loved ones. And why y'all go up to that door out and feel he's trying to just mess y'all mind up? I sure I'm trying to mess your mind up. I'm trying to tear your mind up. I want you to get your mind out of the way, and I want the mind of Christ to permeate. I want you to start thinking biblically. I want you to start speaking biblically. I want you to start saying what the Word of God says about your situation instead of what your mom and dad and what the culture is saying. 
Here's what I envision. I envision us as a body of believers connecting with other bodies of believers, regardless of what their what background is, and, and making a conscious effort and say, we're going to stay with the word of God. And no matter what the culture says, no matter what the culture says, we're going to stay with God. No matter what the culture says, no matter what the latest trend is, we're going to stay with God and stand on his word. Because, guys, you can't tell me. I told you before, you can't tell me this doesn't work because you, you, you would have had to gotten to me before it started working in my life. I know what the Lord has done for me. You may not have been there. You don't know like I know what he's done for me. You don't know like I know how he's still ever transforming me into the express image of his dear son, just like he is you. So we, we, we must own our own thoughts. We ought to weigh things for ourselves in the context of relationship, sharpening each other as iron sharpens iron, God, but, but, but remaining separate thinking as it relates to we allow our thought process to, 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 we own our own thoughts from the standpoint of, you know, not letting somebody tell you something and then you don't check it out. I challenge you all the time. Go check me out. Go into the scripture. I don't want you to take my word for it. Be like those men of Berea who, who when they heard what the apostle says, they went and searched the scriptures daily to see what the, what, what the, uh, what the apostle said was actually so. So number one, we, need, we must own our own thoughts. Number, number two, we must grow in knowledge and expand our minds. Talk about thoughts now. We must grow in knowledge and expand our mind. Too many of us have gotten lazy mentally. Too many of us are not willing to cut the top off and dig. Boy, that's some good lotion in there. That's some good lotion in there. Can I get a witness? But, but, but if you're too lazy to do that, if it stops pumping, you say, that's it, I'm going to throw it away. You're not digging. You're not digging. We must grow in knowledge and expand our minds. One area in which we need to grow is in the knowledge of God and his word. Listen to what David said about knowing God's word in Psalms 119, verse 20. Popped it up the right. Psalm 119, verse 20, and we're going to look at verse number 24. It says, I am, David says, I am always overwhelmed with the desire for your regulation. The NIV says this way. Listen, listen, I like it. It says, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. That's what David said. And in verse 24, he says, your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Your statutes are my delight. And NFT says, your laws please me. They give me wise advice. So if his statutes are David's delight, he said, David said in the NIV, they are my counselors. Too many of us are listening to unwise counsel. You're going to folks who, who were like those Pharisees and Sadducees that faced Jesus over in Mark 12 chapter. Jesus said, you don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. Let God's word be your counselor. And that's what Moses is preparing to do. Amen. So we must grow in knowledge and expand our minds. And, and, and we, we, you know, and thirdly, we must clarify distorted thinking. Because if, if all of us, if, 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 if we're not careful, we can get our minds messed up. Our, we, our thinking can be distorted based on what we see, what we hear. Okay. We all have a tendency to not see things clearly, to think and perceive in distorted ways. Probably the easiest distortions to notice are in personal relationships. We rarely see people as they really are. I'm going to say this again. We rarely 
see people as they really are. Our perceptions are distorted a lot of times by past relationships and our own preconceptions of who we think they are. Even the people who we know best. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. I've, I've been married to Maria and the Keatrice Kirk Adams. In December, it'll be 35 years. And guys, guess what? Hear me, husband. I have to keep on studying her. Because she is different than she was 20 years ago. Hello? And so she's evolving. She's growing. There are things that maybe she liked doing 20 years ago she don't like doing today. There are things that she's focused on today uh, that she wasn't focused on 20 years ago. So if I sit back and put it on cruise control and don't do like the Bible told, told me to, 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 uh, to, as it relates to my wife, to be able to, to study her, to, to dwell with her according to knowledge. Many of us are de- dwelling with people in, 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 in the same house, people sleeping in the same bed with people, and we're not dwelling with them according to knowledge because we've we gotten lazy. We don't, we, don't, we don't pursue them to see what it is that you like. What's, what's, where are you at this stage in life? So I'm, I'm ever learning. And, I, and sometimes I get, I get I, sometimes I'm thinking, well, you didn't think that five years ago. But she's evolving. She's growing. Amen. So, so, so three things as it relates to our thought. We must own our, thought, our own thoughts. We must grow in knowledge and expand our mind. And we must clarify distorted thinking. And the way we clarify distorted thinking is using the word of God to drive our thought process. Take ownership of your thinking in relationships, okay? And, and if you're going to do that, it requires being active and checking out where you may be wrong. Be willing to, to, to listen to people when they say, well, hey, baby, you, you're off on that. Don't get defensive, Okay? And, 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 and let me say this while I'm on it, and I got, to, I got to keep moving. Wives, sometimes you have to just come out and tell your husband what your expectations are and what you want. I know you're sitting there many times trying to see if he's going to figure it out. Some of them don't ever figure it out. I know you're sitting there thinking, uh, and I know you, you need or you want him to, to, to figure out what you want him to do, so you don't want to have to tell him to do it because you want to see if it's really important enough for him to figure out what you want. But I'm here to tell you, it's good to communicate and to share what you want. Amen? Uh, it's good to, 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 to tell him, and he needs to be studying you too, but, and, and, and sometimes he needs to be able to figure it out himself. But a lot of times, it's, it's not happening because you're not communicating with him. Tell him what you want. Just like you, that song was saying, Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want. Your husband on the main line, tell him what you want. Hello? Don't try to make him figure it out. Well, if he, if he loved me, he'll figure it out. Well, baby, he may love you, but sometimes it's a little slow on the draw. Amen? It's a little slow on the draw. So tell him what you want. If he ain't figured it out by now, tell him. <laughs> you know, Paul even said this in 1 Corinthians 2 and 11. He says, no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. We have our own thoughts. And if we want others to know them, we got to tell them. Amen. So let's get back to Abraham. I got to move it. So we said, Abraham, we see in this text here is a friend of God. Growing faith. How to become a friend of God. Well, so first, the first thing that when we look at becoming a friend of God. Hallelujah. We said the Lord appeared and sought Abraham's friendship. That's the first thing. And let me say this. The Lord is seeking your friendship too. The Lord wants you to become his friend. 
All right. He's seeking after you. He's pursuing you, but he won't he won't overrun you. He's pursuing you. But guess what? He's he not going to be like some folks are. They're so pushy. They, 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 they ain't going to take no for an answer. God allows you to be, make the choice. Yeah, he saved you. But if you want to get close to him, cut the top off the bottle. Some of y'all are not hungry enough. And you're not thirsting for the things of God. Are you with me today? And, and then when you're not doing that, even though God is pursuing you, you're not pursuing him, so we, you end up not getting close to him. So the second thing I want to write, write I want you to just jot down, it's in your notes. Abraham sat, bowed his head, and he meditated. Go back to Genesis 18 and, and look at this, the, going to that second verse. Glory to God. He, the Lord appeared to Abraham in order to strengthen their friendship, guys. And God wanted a closer friendship with Abraham. He wanted to draw closer to Abraham and to have Abraham draw closer to him. Meditation and prayer are the way to draw closer to God. How often do you sit down and just meditate and think on the things of God? How much time are you spending in prayer? Text says he looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. Text says in the third verse, let's read right quick. It says, well, my Lord, if it please you, stop here for a while. So meditation and prayer is a way that we're going to get close to God. Third thing I want you to just make a note of, Abraham served and met the needs of people. See, in this process of God molding him and shaping him, he's trying to cultivate their friendship, their connectivity. Abraham's ministry to the Lord was so acceptable that we ought to follow his example today. So what do you mean, Brother Pastor? Well, to begin with, when you look at this, and this is not in your notes, but just jot it down. I want you to, I want you to work a little bit. I want you to use your hand a little bit. To begin with, he served the Lord personally. Everybody say personally. He served the Lord personally. Remember, Abraham, Abraham was 99 years old at this time and was very wealthy. We saw in another passage, he had a house full of servants. But here this rich man is, not calling on his servants to do what he was doing, washing their feet. Come on now. Just like Jesus did. Before he went to the cross of Calvary. He was showing humility, guys. So he served him personally. He could have gave this task over to his, three, oh, his 300 servants. Uh, instead, he decided to minister to the Lord personally. Second thing I want you to consider. He also ministered immediately. Everybody say immediately. He also ministered immediately. Abraham could have ignored them because it was hot. Uh, he's in the doorway of his tent. He's resting during a siesta. He could have said, I'll, I'll take care of when I get through my nap. How many of y'all like naps? Anybody like naps? You know, I don't, I don't get to do it that often, but a, a Sunday afternoon nap, is, is, that's, that's, that's a gift from God. When you eat a good Sunday, can I, come on, come on, y'all. When you eat a good Sunday meal, huh? It may be a little... It, I, 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 I particularly like to do it in the fall, but then I, I, I do it in the summer too when I get a chance. Eat a good Sunday meal when you had good fellowship with your family. And then all of a sudden you get in the recliner and call yourself watching TV, but the TV is watching you. Come on now. That's some of the best sleep in the whole wide world. Can I get a witness? Kind of like that sleep was when you used to go to church and lay your head in your mama's lap and go to sleep. Anybody remember that, that sleep? Uh, I'm not the only one that did that. I remember going to Longview Baptist Church out in the hills. 
when they had church once a month on the second Sunday, and I would go with mama as a little boy, and then I would get sleepy and lay my head on her lap, and that was some of the best sleep. I woke up when the benediction would be an offering. <laughs> that ain't good, you understand me, but, but I'm just telling you what good sleep is. All right, so, so he served the Lord personally. He also ministered immediately, okay? Uh, Abraham could have, uh, again, ignored them by pretending to be asleep. He could have ignored them like some of y'all do and don't take the phone call. You could, he could have ignored them like when they came ring your doorbell and you didn't want them to come. You said, shh. But he didn't do that, guys. Abraham was a man of faith, and faith does not delay when it comes to serving the Lord. He ran to meet the visitors and quickly told Sarah to take some bread. He ran out to get a tender calf and saw to it that the young man quickly prepared the meat. Only after he had served his guests did Abraham stand still. There's a lesson in that for us. So he served, he ministered immediately. Third thing I want you to consider, he served the Lord generously. Everybody say generously. He gave him the best that he had. Boy, it's, 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 it, it boggles my mind how sometimes we as Christians give God our tired time. We give God our leftover. We give God our change. In other words, after Uncle Sam has got his, listen, if you're going to tie tie it off of what God has blessed you with. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the what? First fruit of all thine increase. The United States government don't trust you. What do you mean they don't trust me, brother pastor? I got, a, I got an IRS agent over, she'll tell you. The United States government don't trust you to, to pay your taxes uh, like you're supposed to. So what they do, they make it a requirement of your employer. If you are a W-2 wage employee, they require the employer to take it out before you get your money. Because they know some of y'all are going to do the U.S. government like you do the Lord. Well, Lord, if I, after I do everything else, if I got it left over, I'll give it to you. But God said, the, the, the United States government said, no, we're going to get ours first. God wants us to honor him and with, with, with our very best. He served the Lord generously. He gave him the best that he had. Sarah baked the bread from fine meal. Not that meal in the store that it's just in a white container. All it's got is meal on it. Not the cereal box that all it's got is just cornflakes in a white generic box. The real stuff. I'll tell you about those paper towel Maria ordered offline, right? Everything that looks like is genuine and, and good, it can fool you. It was not bounty. It was thin. And it did not pick the stuff up the way bounty does. There is a difference in quality. Abraham gave him the best. Amen. He was generous. No leftovers. No second-rate food items for these important guests. What a contrast to the priests in Malachi's day who did not give God their best. They robbed them in tithes and offerings. So he served the Lord generously. The next point is he served his service was marked with humility. Everybody say humility. He bowed to his guests. He called himself a servant and called the feast. on oh, this, this is just a little morsel of bread. He laid out this bread. Just, I just fixed a little something, something for you. Guys, we got to learn to give God our best. Say, I must give God my best. And every one of us in here, I don't care who you are, if you're guilty just like I am. There are times, guys, when I'm honest about it, I really haven't given God my best. I gave him some tired time. And I gave, I gave other stuff, you know, family and work and everything else. You know, I, I gave, because to me, uh, I work at the church, but when I'm working at the church, there's tasks and responsibilities I got to do, but that's different than spending time with God about me. It's different spending time with God 
not to preach, but to let God talk to Doyle Adams about Doyle Adams. And I'll be the first to admit that there's sometimes I fall down on that piece. I'm going to make sure I feed you, but I got to make sure God is feeding me too. Give God your best. Don't, 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 please, don't, don't give him leftover time. Don't give him tired time. Don't give him the, 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 the change. Hello? Bless him. Be generous. I had, uh, I had uh, Garen, uh, White, Garen had called me one time uh, and asked me about, you know, did I need my car washed? And I let him wash my car. And yesterday it was hot. And I got my car back from the body shop. And they said, I could not take it through one of those automated car washes for, for at least 30 days. And we're only 10 days removed from that. And man, it was hot. I didn't want to wash that car by hand. I really didn't. So I, I said, gee. I said, man, you, you want to, you want to, um, are you still washing cars? He said, yeah. I said, uh, are you willing to wash mine? He said, uh, yeah, pastor. Uh, um, cause you, know, you want a clean car for Sunday, right? He asked me, do I, does it have to be today? I said, well, really, I, I really kind of needed it done today. He was laying down. So he got, said, listen, give, give me the 130. And he came over there, washed my car real good. And guess what I did? I paid him good. Cause he served me. By doing that, I ain't gonna tell you what I gave him, but, I, but, but, but what I gave him, he said, Pastor, anytime you want me to come back and wash your car, I'll come back and wash your car. <laughs> Have y'all ever noticed when you go to a restaurant and you tip good? Waitresses and waiters be trying to find you. Some of y'all, they run from me. I ain't serving that table. Whatever you get to the Lord, bless him. Be generous. He was generous. His service was marked with humility. And lastly, he served the Lord cooperatively. He served the Lord cooperatively and involved the ministries of others. He, he brought Sarah on board. Sarah baked the bread. A young man dressed the meat. And no doubt other servants brought Abraham the butter, the milk, and whatever else he needed. But he, he served the Lord cooperatively. And he utilized the ministry. of One person can't do it alone. Ministry cannot go on, amen, with you by yourself. I've learned that as a pastor, if we're going to grow, we're going to, it's going to take all of us serving together. Just do your part. You don't have to be all over the place, but just do your part. We need, we, we're in need of service and very, media ministry needs servants. Uh, sound ministry needs some service. Because, guys, I, I, I'm, I'm somewhat, as I read the, 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 the sermon, the sign of time, we, this, this thing will probably be with us for a little while. And, we, we got, and we're going to have to connect with our folks because, you know, not, not everybody's here. So and not everybody should be here. But we got to connect with them via this new venue here. And, and what God told me was uh, utilize the tools, the skill sets and the people that you have to get my word out in manners and ways that you previously didn't get it out in. And let it not be just a pandemic thing, but let it be a consistent thing that you do going forward. Because he wants us to reach the world with the gospel. And we're going to use this tool that we were pushed into. That's how God had to do it sometimes. He has to push us into some, into our destiny. So God's going to help us to utilize these tools to get done. So we, we need some help. I don't, I don't care if, you, if you're the vice president of your company. You can run a camera. Ain't no pride thing up in here. I don't care if you're a doctor, nurse, or whatever. You can, you, you, can, you can be a greeter at the door. Abraham was rich. By all counts, by most theologians, he was probably one of the richest men in that part of the, the area that he, that he was living in. But it didn't stop him from serving. Some of y'all are too prideful. Not, not, not y'all individual, but I'm talking about Christians as a whole. 
Too prideful. I got this position. Did I, that God that doesn't matter to God. I'm this. I'm a colonel in the military. I'm, I'm, I'm a general in the military. Yes, you are. But here you're going to serve on that camera and do it well. And God will be honored by that. We're going to pick up on Abraham on next week, guys, because we're going to look at what he did. Because he, those, those, those four or five things I just gave you have, helps us to understand how he, he's now be, he's, he's becoming that friend of God. God initiated the, the contact. And God is trying to initiate the contact with you. Stop running away from him. He's using things, people, situations, circumstances to get all of us to come to him. Me and my dysfunctional family. Every head bowed, every eye closed.